This is The Resilient Life, where we believe that every human will struggle in this life. Our challenge is to struggle well. I'm Ryan Mannion. I lost my brother to war, my mom to cancer, and I'm the daughter of a retired Marine. I'm also a wife, mom, author, and president of one of the nation's leading veteran service organizations. Join me and some incredible guests as we explore the value of struggling well through life's inevitable challenges. All right, and welcome to another episode of the Resilient Life Podcast. Coming to you today with one of my good friends, Mr. Invincible, Vince Papali. <laughs> Vince, welcome to the Resilient Life. Oh, it's great to, be, great to be here with the Resilient Life. We had to be a little resilient to get this audio straightened out, but yeah, Ryan, it's, it's really cool. And I know just a second or two, I'm looking forward to seeing you all down in Jupiter, Florida. But uh, I can't wait to talk to you today. There's just so many great things going on. And I want to, before I start, I want to congratulate you and your dad and your whole, your whole team for the tremendous gala. I had an opportunity to watch it when I was down in Jupiter. Actually, I was at Coach Peterson's house, too, uh, catching a glimpse of it. So it was pretty cool. That's awesome. And, um, uh, you know, you've been such an incredible supporter of the Travis Manning Foundation for many, many years now. And I love that you showed up today wearing your TMF gear. I showed up wearing my Eagles gear. <laughs> it was I had, perfect. I had to rep the Eagles. I said, what am I going to wear this morning? And I pulled out my Eagle sweatshirt and my husband said, you even have the right era. That's a nice throwback. So I was ready to go. And, you know, many people know who you are. They know your story. But what I love most about it is it really is a tale of overcoming and perseverance and really this, this never quit mentality that you had. And I'd love for you to start off by walking us through, you know, when you think of Vince Papala, you think of, oh, he's the guy that walked on to the Philadelphia Eagles and got a spot, but that didn't come without some hardship. And so I'd love um, for you to talk to us a little bit about what that time was like for you um, and what you were going through in your life at that time. Well, there was a lot of stuff going on at that particular time. And, and I'll be the first to admit that there's no way I would have gotten there and done what I did uh, without the help of so many people, especially my mentors. And, and uh, my father was an, was an influence. And my mother was, was very, very ill. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But, uh, you know, there was some stuff going on. And uh, so prior to, and uh, it, see, when people see the movie, Ryan, everybody says, how true is it? Is your wife still a Giants fan? You know, what's Mark Wahlberg like? I mean, they're the top three questions. And, and I'll answer number two first. Uh, Janet, as you know, um, <laughs> no, she does not wear the Giants blue. She wore the Penn State blue. But uh, Janet was on a USA World gymnastics team at that time, uh, the Olympics uh, in Munich. And Kathy Rigby, um, the great Olympian back there in those Munich days, was her best friend and teammate and roommate um, on that team. But Janet didn't compete because of an injury, but she got into the World Games. and eventually uh, went on to coach at the University of Pennsylvania. The reason she was a Giants fan was we had to do a compromise with the NFL so we could get branding rights. And, and you know all about branding rights and intellectual property rights. And they said, well, your love interest has to be this. In the original script, it had Janet as a world-class gymnast, and they flipped it. And, it. and it became fun, and she signed off on it. So that was number one. And then the other thing is, is that actually – 
Um, just right down the road, I grew up from where I know where you're at, right up there in Doylestown, and I grew up in Delaware County in Glen Olden, right south of the airport, the first, second exit uh, south of the airport on 95. And and uh, I grew up there and I went to Interboro High School, was a uh, three letterman my senior year and, uh, and and actually played four sports. I played baseball my junior year and um, and then went to St. Joe's on the track scholarship, a pole vault scholarship, actually. And uh, they didn't have college football. And uh, so after I graduated from college, I actually I actually thought, Ryan, that I was going to be going to Vietnam. This was 1968. And I was absolutely positively sure that I was going to go to Vietnam. And, and ironically, one of the meets that I had competed in when I was at St. Joe's was a Quantico, Quantico Marine Base down in Virginia. And, um, and I just fell in love with it. I, 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 everything about Quantico and, and the Marine life and the whole deal. And I know you know all about it. Uh, of course, with Travis and your dad, and and then it was just—it's what I wanted to do. So uh, I was when I graduated from college at St. Joe's. Um, I actually almost, almost enlisted in the Marines, and and then I got a, I got an opportunity to uh, teach, and and I wanted to teach in the worst in the worst way, and I wanted to coach in the worst way. That was my number one love. And, um, and, and I wanted to sort of give payback to those that were loyal and true to me, my coaches and my teachers, when I was going through a pretty rough time as, as uh, going through puberty and my mother's mental illness, basically, what was going on at that time. And, and I just wanted to sort of stay home and, and be around the house and, you know, help my dad with all that was happening there and, uh, and stay close to the house. So I, I wound up getting a teaching job. And as a result, I never did enlist. So I got six years in and I worked on my master's degree. I uh, was a head track coach, assistant football coach. And darn if the opportunity and the trial came out, tryout came out in 1976. Dick Vermeil was the head coach, the new head coach. He had just come in from UCLA after having beaten Woody Hayes, the inimitable Woody Hayes from, uh, from Ohio State. And he won the Rose Bowl. And somehow, someway, Jimmy Murray, the general manager, Mr. Tosar owner, they actually flew out to the West Coast and they convinced Dick Vermeil that his next future should be with the Philadelphia Eagles. So he came and and the, the, one of the first things he said he wanted to do after looking at his team, he says, we need some help here. I, maybe I can pick one or two guys out from a free agent tryout. And it wasn't a stunt. Uh, he really did want to do it because his mentor was George Allen, uh, who f- hired him with the Rams uh, before uh, at one point. And George Allen was that was the guy that he. This was before he went to UCLA, and that was sort of his mentor. And George Allen back in the day had a free agent tryout, and he grabbed a couple guys from it that went on to be stars on his team. So Dick was just sort of following his mentor, and he had that free agent tryout. And of the couple three hundred that showed up, uh, one guy stuck to the fan, as they say. <laughs> you throw it up against the fan, something's going to stick. And I guess I was the guy that stuck. I was hanging on for dear life. And I uh, wound up making the team. And, you know, of course, now you're not making the team. I wound up getting a contract that day for an astounding and an absolutely whopping $21,000. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think I, I think that uh, the uh, the contract that these guys are getting now, they get $21,000 a minute for crying out loud. But, hey, man, it was, uh, let me tell you, Ryan, it was it was the best, you know. I mean, I, I was teaching school and, you know, working on my master's and I was just about making double figures. So it, it was a, it was a good deal, but still I had to make the team. 
and, and so what I, what I decided to do is I, they told me that I could train at Veterans Stadium every day. And I actually uh, was taken over by a guy by the name of Gus Hoffling, who trained Mike Schmidt, some great Philly athletes, uh, Roman Gabriel, uh, Steve Carlton. They were his three, uh, they were his three mentors, mentees, and he trained them more in martial arts and, and natural weight training than anything else. And uh, he took me under his wing and just tortured me and got me all stretched out and get me ready for the rigors of the NFL because I had no idea what I was getting into. And, and, and as a track guy, uh, you know, I took care of the, uh, the conditioning side and the running side by myself. I was a big proponent of interval training and, and a combination of distance training to create the base. So that combo had me ready for one of the coolest experiences I've ever been through. It wasn't sort of like a training camp in the military, but uh, it, it was pretty tough for me. But, uh, you know, because of the condition I was in, I was able to sort of keep my mind focused while other guys were breaking down and literally cutting themselves. And, you know, as they say, the rest is history. I wound up uh, actually making the team and, and uh, next year went on becoming voted captain of the team. And I uh, got to last uh, three years um, active and then my fourth year injury reserve after blowing both my shoulders out. So I got four years and the ultimate last laugh, uh, Ryan, I, I got a pension, you know, and, and, and then it was the, the two, which is 2020, about 18 years ago, NFL Films comes and says, we want to do a feature comparing you to Rocky. And then that was the seed that, that, that cultivated and grew the movie Invincible. And, and, because of, and, as, and because of Invincible, I get to meet your dad, who's now one of my closest friends, and, and, uh, and, and a couple of other guys. And, you know, and just totally changed my life. I got to meet you and become so attached to your family and become a part of the foundation, but I'll never forget speaking uh, down at Andrews Air Force, Air Force Base for the first time. I couldn't breathe for about two days prior to that, thinking there were going to be all this brass there and all these important people. And I'm thinking, what the hell am I going to say that can it, it light up anybody in that crowd? But uh, I guess I passed the audition because I'm still around, so I appreciate that. You you passed the audition for sure, and I love how you gave that overview. And and so you give this overview, but. I'd love to dive a little bit into some of this because first of all, you're glossing over the fact that you decided to walk on and try out for the Philadelphia Eagles, yet you had not played college football. So yeah, no college football at St. Joe's. I was track guy all the way. And even if there was a college football team, I wouldn't be able, they wouldn't let me play. My coach actually, the basketball coach asked me if he wanted me to play for, for them. Um, and that was Jack McKinney at the time because I was always playing pickup basketball and I was playing against some of the guys that were on his varsity team. And, and he thought I had the skills. I think more than anything, he wanted me, wanted me to be like a dummy, you know, but um, he, he, he asked the track coach if, if I could join the team, he was going to bring me in. I was already under scholarship and the track coach uh, denied me the opportunity. So um, it, it was, it was a track run all the way through, but you know, that's, that's the decision I made. And, and how to stay with it, you know, like, you know, about anything, Ryan, and, and your family knows about life is all about commitments and being true to those that they gave you an opportunity. And back then, nobody knew me. You know, I, I was a, I was a flash in a pan pole vaulter that went from pole vaulting across the creek in the housing project to being a foot and a half off the world's record in a matter of uh, three and a half, four months. And I mean, how that happened, I don't know, but it just happened. 
Well, obviously you're an athlete, but I think it's so interesting when you look at sports today and you look at youth sports in particular, these kids are driven to pick a sport. And at a very young age, when I was growing up, I was like you in high school, I played multiple sports. Uh, growing up, I played everything from T-ball to softball to soccer to, I mean, literally everything, basketball. I mean, my dad wanted me to be a basketball star. He didn't, uh, <laughs> forgot about the fact that I was, you know, five foot tall. So that didn't work out too well for him, but I played everything and I watch kids today and they are, they are driven by the society that says you must find your sport and you must play it and that's your sport. And so your story is so interesting and it's such an, an interesting case study in this idea that if you're an athlete, you're an athlete, right? And you are an incredible track star and yet you decide I'm going to walk on and try out for a football team. Obviously, you know, through watching the movie, it's not that you played football in high school, you continued to play football recreationally throughout college when you were older, um, you know, I guess pickup games and stuff as the movie. Was right. Like. And the rough touch legs. Yeah. The rough touch right. thing that you saw, and you know, the uh, Cannons Cafe that uh, and the Maximilian Stavron, there really is a Max's in Prospect Park. It's not, it's called the Tumble Inn now, but it, it's there. And, um, and, and that's, that was my football. And I started playing semi-pro football. And then that led to another thing, the World Football League, and then the World Football League moved, uh, flew, uh, got up to the NFL. So the movie, uh, the movie cut off the, those those things. But you know, getting yep. back to what you were saying, it was sports. Look, for me, I, I'm, I grew up in a housing project. We're all baby boomers. All our fathers are working on the river. My dad is son. He's Westinghouse. The, the guy next door to me, he's over Baldwin, Lima, Hamilton. They're they're building. They're building uh, engines, you know, uh, for trains, and then the people at Sunship and 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 Scott Paper, all those all those uh, big big corporations that were right on the river, right by the Philadelphia airport. That's where all our parents, our dads were, and our release was sports, you know. And, and any chance we got to be outside, we were outside, and there was a park just a half a mile away from us, and. And that's how we grew up. And we grew up with the love of sports. And now what they're doing is you're, you're absolutely right, Ryan. They're trying to pigeonhole them into something. And I think that's one of the biggest mistakes a parent could make because it just sets up the quotient or the factor for failure at a greater, at a greater height and than anything else. Just experience everything. And eventually, as you grow up and you get later on in high school years, everything will stick. But here, you know, here I was in high school, lettered in football, lettered in basketball, lettered in track. And my junior year, they told me I was too small to play football. I lettered in baseball. You know, you just did what you did. Um, you know, sports was our life back then, and it was our release. Now there's just so many other, you know, so many other distractions, obviously. I don't have to get into that. But, you know, then it was pure, and, and there weren't too many distractions other than the, the opposite sex, you know. And we, well, tried, yeah, to, we, we tried to stay focused. I also <laughs> think, too, you know, the, the youth sports has become a money-making machine where Absolutely. it actually cancels people out from being able to participate in some of these levels. I mean, um, there were so many different intramural opportunities. And, and even in high school, you know, my daughter, my oldest Maggie, she plays travel lacrosse and she plays year round and she loves it. And she has a, a 
great passion for it. So anything she wants to do, we will stretch to give her the opportunity to do that. Mm-hmm. The high school part of it is, is almost obsolete at this point. When I was in high school, they had recruiters that came and sat in the stands and our coach would tell us, Hey, we've got coaches from Penn state and, and would rattle off from all these schools. That's going to be watching today. They don't even, they track you through these travel programs. And, mm-hmm. and if you're not a part of them, you're missing out. And I think to some degree, I think, you know, it, it's sad that it's not the same experience where kids can play intramural and go through junior high and high school. And still, if you're just doing that, you're not going to get noticed as an athlete. You have to do these, all these extracurricular travel club teams to actually mm-hmm. be competitive today. Um, and I think that's super hard. I think that's hard. And I think it's a lot of pressure on kids. And, and I'm very clear. We always say to our kids, listen, sports is about fun, you know, and, and it's fun to be good. Uh, it, it feels good, you know, it, and that's fun too. But like at the end of the day, there's so much more to athletics than this pursuit of excellence, you know, and, and I see that, I see that with my 11 year old daughter. Uh, she plays on the most wonderful soccer team ever. And she's not the star player by any means, but she's, she gets out there and she gets gritty and she's tough and she has this team and this coach. And what is she is learning out on that field is it it can't, you can't buy that anywhere. And that's not Mm -hmm. about, I don't, I don't see honor going on to play on the U S women's soccer team, but I know (laughs) that the things she's learning today are going to help her later in life. For sure. Absolutely. And one of the important things that they're learning today and getting today is getting into condition. And yeah. that's so, so very important. I mean, I, 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 I met, I met Janet uh, 28 years ago uh, because I was, uh, I was asked by somebody in Delaware County to be on the board of directors for a uh, bake, a, a new type of a daycare center where they weren't just going to basically babysit, but we were going to, they were going to teach. And one of the things that they asked me to do was give a presentation on childhood obesity and how important exercise is to the growth of a young person, whether it's formal exercise or whether whatever it was, you know, we're playing in the sports like you're talking about. Our kids, were they, they were just, you know, their, their mom and dad are jocks, you know, so they were born right into it. It's just where's the ball? Where's the game? Let's play. But, you know, you have a lot of families that aren't like that. So they want to get that. And, and Janet and I actually became a part of that. And that's how we met, believe it or not. You know, as a, we did meet back back in the beginning in the movie, didn't date, and then we, then we started dating. And this all happened in 92. And, and you're absolutely right, Ryan. And that's what pains me so much, you know, because, you know, the kids are pigeonholed, the pressures that are put on them. And I had seen it happen. I, I'll tell you what, there were a couple of parents, and I was coaching Vinny uh, from, from day one. Uh, because I wanted to make sure that somebody wasn't going to take advantage of his athleticism. We saw him right from the beginning and said, this is something special. And I didn't want anybody to take advantage of it and wanted to keep an eye on it. And just always tried to make it, make it to be fun. And that was the key word that you just said right there. But you know, at this, at that, at that age, just play everything. Eventually something's going to stick. And then you get to the high school level and then you know, that's where the competition really starts to set in because you've got the college recruiters and they're all, you know, and the coaches are doing, you know, our kids went to private school. They went to Bishop Eustis. And, um, and he, eventually, Vinny was a two sport man and Gabriella wanted to play. Um, she wanted to play a couple of sports. My daughter, Gabby, was a, a really fine lacrosse and, and hockey player. But 
and did pretty well in gymnastics, but she wanted to, she wanted to cheer. And uh, the cheer coach says, well, you can't do the other sports. And she says, well, I want to cheer. And she wound up being a competitive cheerer. So, you know, it, it is what it is, but, um, you know, I, I like the fact that everybody gets an opportunity to just expand yourself, go out and play and have fun. But, you know, and now, I mean, and so, so I'm listening this morning to a news and there's a, there's a, there's a poor dad whose son who he thought was going to go off to do whatever. And he took his own life. And, and one of the things was, he said, it, he wrote this really nice note. And I'm, I'm like in tears this morning when I'm waking up hearing this story. And he just said, they took football away from me because of the COVID. And I didn't, and, and, and they're taking it away next year. And he said, that was my life. And he says, I don't, and, you know, but I, obviously there were some other things going on, but still, you know, now they're telling kids that they can't play sports and they're going to be locked in a, in a house. I mean, geez, I'm, I'm so glad I'm beyond that with ours. And we're down in Florida where everything is wide open. Yeah. Well, that is, I will say that's been the toughest thing for us um, with the kids. Uh, you know, they can handle our two youngest are still in school full time. Um, our oldest is, you know, in a hybrid model that we can deal with. The sports was a really tough pill for my kids to swallow, especially my oldest going into high school, starting her high school career and just hearing, you know, sports are shut down. And I think the school did the best job they could to have this kind of small, she played field hockey in the fall, but like no parents could be there. And, you know, I mean, it's tough, um, but what, and, and it even bigger, you bring up this bigger point to this idea that, you know, conditioning and athletics, they play such a huge role in mental health. And I always joke about, and I wrote about it in my book that um, when I was young, it didn't matter what I was dealing with. And if anything I was dealing with, whether I was sad or angry or unhappy, and I would express that to my dad, he would say, go for a run. That was always his, his mm -hmm. uh, cure to everything, go for a run. And I truly believe there is such a strong connection in our mental health and well-being with our, our physical well-being. Like we have to be active as individuals. My, mm -hmm. my youngest was playing basketball and doing soccer training two nights a week and really only doing that because he's six years old and he needs to run it out and get his energy out. And so today, this week was the first week where it was shut down. And my husband said last night, you're running a mile every single day. That's what you're doing, Travis. Every single day you're running a mile. So he took him down last night on the treadmill and he comes up and Travis walks into the room and he said, mom, I just ran a mile. I said, that's great, bud. And then I see Dave behind him and he's kind of like rolling his eyes. And I said, how'd it go? He goes, well, it took him 17 minutes. He complained a lot. He goes, but we got it done. And, we, you know, and, and that was the thing. It was like, all right, every night you're going to go and you're going to run a mile on this treadmill. Yeah. You've got to do something to bring that connection to body and mind back and to keep these kids active in any way you can. Just well, you know, it's, it's, I, I'm, I'm in Cherry Hill, New Jersey right now. I'm back to my real home. And uh, so we're flipping back and forth, you know, but I, I did come back and I, I was certainly aware of what was going on, you know, with all the sports and, and down there, everything's pretty wide open because you have the open spaces and, and it's a little bit different mentality and, 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 um, and political climate. So that's, that's the way they, they, they set it up down there. But, you know, you, what you were saying, it's, it's that, that's combination and, and when I talk about anybody asks me about what's invincibility, I said it's a synergy between mind, 
body and spirit. And, and you know that when you have that mind and body together and the, the body's part, of course, is, is the fitness, is, is the, um, the exercise, uh, feeling good about yourself. You're only as pretty as you feel, you know, and then the mind's going to kick in. And then when they're all together and you have a spiritual essence about you, you can do anything. And, um, and now I was when I was trying out, you know, going back to that point a few years ago when I was trying out when I was 30, I had that feeling that I could will my body to do almost anything it, I wanted it to do. And it would, it would do that. And I, and that synergy was there. And then there was nothing, no matter what they were throwing at me. And you said right from the beginning, you know, if you're an athlete, you can convert yourself and you can, you have to be agile and, and agility, not being able to go from left to right, but agility or pivot, the, the, the big word now is pivot, but it's the, it's the audible or the agility to be able to transfer your skills in, in my case from one sport over to another sport. I was a decathlete. So there, I so a lot more stuff, you know, the upper body was strong, the lower body, I had all that natural, natural weight. And, and that was certainly a, uh, really an asset for me as I was trying out for the team. But then, as you know, and anybody knows when they're in competition, uh, there's going to be that other force and that's called the opponent, you know, the person across from you. And, and then what are you going to deal with that? And, uh, you know, and then there's the other opponent that is it you. Is it a lousy attitude? Is it being in poor condition? Is it because you don't respect anybody, whatever it is? And I always talk about, it. I said, don't be your own worst opponent because that's going to, that's, that's the, that's going to be the game, the potential killer right there. The great waste of potential. There's greatness within you waiting to come out can just be destroyed with a bad attitude and, uh, and not understanding that you could be your own worst opponent. So there's just so many facets to success, but what really makes and pains me with what's going on right now is what's happening to these young boys and girls. I mean, we're asking them to try to understand this and, and all of a sudden, you know, it's being taken away, uh, you know, and trying to take away a holiday. And it's, it's pretty scary. It's tough. Yeah. And I think, um, I, I, we always talk about just, you know, this positive attitude, you have to have a positive attitude when you're going into things, whether it's sports mm -hmm. or anything else. Like, I always say to my kids, you control, you control how you're going to enter into this. Um, and mm -hmm. that's on you. So one of the things that I wanted to ask you, and we're going back a little bit, but my husband, Dave brought it up and I wanted, he said, you know, when Vince and, and you tell me if this is true or not, he said, you know, when Vince tried out for the Eagles, he said that the Eagles players were, did not re initially receive him well, that they were tough on him. Is that, is that true? Uh, it's pretty true. Yeah. Okay. Uh, like, like really true. I, <clears throat> I did things that nobody ever did as a wide receiver down there. I was aggressive, you know, before if somebody came up to block, they would just, you know, put their hands in tight and sort of dance around the defender. Well, I, I, I figured, well, I, I've got to make, I, I've got to make uh, an impression somehow, some way. And when I started playing in the world football league, I started just throwing my body around and blocking anybody and anything I saw, if it was moving, I hit it. And uh, when I got up there in training camp and the veterans came in, they did not like my style of play. They didn't like my physical style of play. And then it sort of pissed them off that because I was a track guy and my conditioning was, was a little bit different than them. And I created that base that I, I really didn't, I, I really didn't fatigue all that much. I, I lost a lot of weight and, and you get muscle cramps and stuff like that. But I was still able to, when I, when I wanted to, I could still make that burst whenever I needed to do it. So uh, aside from the burst and then doing some other things and then making a few catches and 
and then catching the attention of the people in the stands. Now, understand this was a big part of the of the tryout because of the tryouts at Widener College then. Now it's university, which is only eight miles from Glen Oldham, where I grew up, where I went to high school. And so where I got my the dad guys. and I went to college. So that's right. That's right. Yep. Yeah. So that's right. So you're, you know, so you know that you know the neighborhood. And yep. so next thing you know, my dad's all my dad's buddy from Westinghouse are coming. The guys I played semi-pro, all the guys from Max's, the kids I taught and coached, my students at Interboro, they're all coming. And every time I catch a pass, the, the stands are going crazy. And then I said, well, let's make them get a little bit more crazy. So every time I catch a pass, I'd run all the way into the end zone. Now that didn't really settle too well with the defensive backs because I thought I was a hot dog. <laughs> and all I wanted, I, I was trying to get the attention because then the noise is happening. The coach turns around, you know, Vermeil might've been on the other side because there's a lot of units running. There's so many guys in camp that they could take over a hundred. I wanted to, he's looking and there I am trotting back to the huddle with the ball in my hand and, and then it would show up on film the next day. And one of the things he kept, one of the reasons why he kept me around was just the hustle factor. And I was catching the ball. I was making plays and all, but, and then, but you know, you had, you had, it, you know, it's, it, you, you got to survive. And it was, it was real life survival uh, to get to training camp. And then, and then you have to, then you have to perform in the games and, you know, and Dave was right. I, but here's what was going on. There was, there was like a, <laughs> I, I, there was a deep state going on uh, there, but the deep state were the guys that were the veterans that were really not too fond of some of the guys that were giving me a bunch of grief, but they didn't want to create a fracture in the locker room. So they just kept their mouth shut and they figured they let me go ahead and do it. And then after, uh, and these are guys that I, I'm a season now, keep in mind, I'm a, I'm a season ticket holder for 10 years. These are guys I love, right? And after I, I get invited to my first team party, you know, they come up and put their arm around me. Hey, we were rooting for you the whole time. And, and now these guys are my best friends and it's, it's the best out there, you know. So, it, you know, the guys like Bergie and, and Carmichael and Jaws, you know, Jaws came in the next year. But we're still such a tight group. So, yeah, Dave was right on the money. I, I was not uh, I, I was an anomaly. I was an outlier. Whatever it was, I was not welcome. Uh, but that's okay. I've I've gone to a lot of parties before where I was told that I wasn't invited. So you just gotta, you know, just you know what I'm saying. I hear those Delaware County boys are known for showing up. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, yeah, we've been that way every once in a while. <laughs> well, I I know that people certainly want to hear a little bit about the path to you play for the Eagles for four years, and that in itself is wow. Oh my gosh, life changing. And then the next thing you know, they're making a movie about your life and right. Mark Wahlberg is playing your character. I mean, that's pretty crazy. That's pretty crazy, right? And so, and, uh, and yeah. what I love too, too is that, and, and, I, and I know why, because you are just such a great guy and you are so caring and compassionate, but you still to this day remain close with Mark Wahlberg and, mm -hmm. and, and I've watched several interviews where he talks about the process of, of playing you and it really mm -hmm. meant something to him. And, and it was a family affair. I mean, you were there and on, on set and your family was there on set. And, and I love when you take that background look at that movie, um, to, to know that now knowing you to know what a part you were of that whole process. It's, it's really cool. It was great for Gabrielle and Vinny too, because Mark um, embraced uh, them as his part of his family, and um, it, he then he used to ride around in a moped 
uh, motor scooter that got all tricked out and Eagles, he put the Eagles green and the whole thing. And we were training at Franklin field in the beginning. So he's driving around the track and there's Gabby and Vinny on the back of the scooter. They were like six and seven. And, uh, you know, Vinny was six or seven. Gabby's was, was nine or 10. Right. And, 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 and that was really cool. And, and then they were, there's that great scene, uh, in the movie after the Cowboys game where Mark's driving through the street, he sees these kids playing football on the street or in the playground. And Gabby's the quarterback and she's got the pigtails and throws the ball out in the street. And Vinny runs out in front with his long blonde hair and he picks up the ball. And then Mark saw himself as that kid. And again, we're going back to that fun thing and say, hey, look, I'm going to play the next game and just have fun rather than get so serious about it. But the movie, it was, it, I mean, it was just the craziest thing in the world. I mean, it's like 2002. I get a call from NFL Films, Ryan. They said, hey, you know, it's the 25th anniversary of Rocky. You're, you're, everybody's calling you the real life Rocky. So, you know, Rocky's out comes out in 76, 77, right around the same time I'm, I'm, I'm playing as a rookie. So they did the feature on Monday Night Football. And lo and behold, you know, the, 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 the Hollywood's calling. And uh, Ken Rock, who created America's Next Top Model, I took the lead and all those that that uh, that that wanted to uh, say they could make a movie about it. I went to several producers in Philadelphia and they says, oh, it'll go nowhere. You know, just like they told me I wouldn't make Eagles. You know, forget about it. You're wasting your time. They'll never make a movie. You know, Walt Disney. So anyway, the guy takes a risk. He gets a guy by the name of Brad Gann, who's one of my best buddies now. He writes a, a spec script. And what they did is they gave the script to a whole bunch of people, took it all over Hollywood. And the two guys who took it to Disney, Mark Giardi and Gordon Gray, had done Miracle, had done Rookie, had done The New Guy, and eventually they did uh, they did Game Plan and they did Secretariat and a few other movies. But they took the movie to to uh, to Disney, and Disney said, "This is what we're looking at." They were looking for a sports movie at that time, and one of the executive producers there for Brain of Vista Pictures was a Philly guy. He says, oh. "I know this story. I grew up with this guy." And it, we we got to make this movie. And next thing you know, 2004, we signed, we greenlit it. 2005, Mark Wahlberg becomes me. And 2006, it came out. And here we are, you know, 14 years later. It's just like, are you kidding me? I'm still pinching myself. It's the craziest. And now, as as you know, that's and of course that's how I met your dad and your family, and became such a a, a big part. I hope of the of, of the foundation. And uh, it was all because of Invincible and now, you know, speaking around, uh, speaking around the country, speaking around the world. But I got wiped out, you know, my everything that I do now, I can't I can't speak in front of groups. So, you know, again, you got to you got to audible eyes, you got to pivot and you got to be agile. And now you do things like what we're doing a Zoom, which is right, pretty absolutely. fun. And you can still uh, book Vince for a virtual talk. Um, that still exists today right now, but I will tell you what I love so much. And you did, you came and spoke at a golf tournament for us at Andrews air force base several years ago. And I love how you took the, the fundamentals of what this movie was about. And you share just this great message of what it means to be invincible to, and, and being invincible in the way you put it is not something that's not unachievable to everyone. Everyone can be invincible. And and I love how you lay it out. And you are a really galvanizing speaker. Um, you do a fantastic job with a great mix of um, inspiration and humor. Uh, I love everything you do. Every time I hear you talk, I love it. 
One of the things that I really, I, I want to touch on uh, before we wrap up is, and it's something that you talk about a lot um, when you're talking about the challenges you've overcome, but it's not something that was showcased in the movie Invincible, but you actually suffered from cancer. And what, yeah. what was that, in 2001? Yeah, 2001, two, yes, 2000. And of course, you know, you know, with your mom, and uh, it was just one. It was one of those things. And uh, and basically, um, and I, I treated the cancer the way I treated going to training camp when I found out I had it and I was going to go in for surgery. I found out that I had colon cancer and uh, my, our kids were, you know, my God, they were three and three and six at that time. And I'm thinking, am I ever going to see them again? And, you know, I was I was when I first found out I had it, I was feeling so sorry for myself. And you know, emotional wreck. And, you know, Hey dad, what's wrong with you? And I said, my best friend just passed away. One of these kinds of things. They didn't know that I had had cancer. When I went in for the surgery, a good friend of mine, Nancy Taviano took the kids to the uh, zoo uh, to distract them. And then they, Hey, where's daddy? Well, he's just getting a little something, something going on. And they got it all and they resectioned my, my colon. And, and so now um, it's 20 years later, I continually get tested. I do the test. Nobody wants to do the colonoscopy. And, but I, I, you know, I still, I, I still take that test to make sure everything is fine. But the, 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 here's, here's the beauty uh, and, and the synergy of the movie, because now Invincible gives me that platform to get out and become a spokesperson for colorectal cancer awareness. And, and that's so, so very important. And I had somebody come up to me and said, Hey, we saw you on that ad that you did for, for Jeff, you know, and I got one, I got that test because of you. And guess what they found? You saved my life. And they start crying and hugging. That is, that, you know, I mean, how many, how many of, of, of the Gold Star families that you've been involved with that have come up and given you a hug and all your counselors and your father and everything that you're involved in getting goose pimples now. But this is why we do what we do, Ryan. You know, you can't put a dollar sign on that because it's infinitesimal. You know, to put a smile on somebody's face, to give them hope. To, to make them feel whole when they've lost somebody that was so close to them, and especially a family member. I, to me, I can't even fathom that and, and what the feeling to have that knock on the door. I, I just, you know, when I see your dad and, and, you know, and how he treats my son, Vinny, as one of his own, it, it's just, it just is one of the, to me, one of the greatest experiences of my lifetime. And it never would have happened if it weren't for Invisible, Invincible, in yeah. which I almost became invisible. But hey, you know, it's like anything. I, I trained. I trained for the surgery, like it was going to be. And, and as soon as that was over, and the, and the doctor said, "Man, I've never seen anybody in such great condition." And at that time, I was, you know, I was forty, I was forty something. Right. Well, I, you know, and I think what I love most about you is that you are a fighter. You enter into every experience in life with that same mentality, and there is something to say for that. Um, this idea that we're all going to face challenges, we're all going to face adversity, we're all going to face um, different things that are put in front of us, but we determine how we're going to approach overcoming them. And mm -hmm. um, you've approached each challenge in your life, and you know we didn't touch too much on it, but you know you you were it it wasn't all um, unicorns and rainbows when you tried out for the Eagles, like things were, it wasn't this perf picture perfect moment where, and like you said, like they, obviously they have to shift some things around to cut it into a, a nice two hour production, but 
you mm-hmm. had challenges going on in your life, but you just kept fighting and you kept moving forward. And well, I you had to, yeah, 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 you had to, you know, and then, and I touched on it briefly and not to get into it, but mental illness is always, is a big part of our family. And I think there might be a seed somewhere there because I've seen it happen with people around me and my mother, you know, having suffered from anxiety and depression. Uh, and she was one of nine and she had ringing of year and it, it sort of took her out. And when I was growing up and, um, and I'm in junior high school and in high school, she's going through all this. I saw her being taken out of the house in a straitjacket, go to Haverford state mental hospital. I've been there. I've been there twice, a couple of three times, you know, to visit my mom. That's not a, that's not a pretty sight. And, 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 you know, and going back to the original thing, why did I start teaching? Why did I coach? Because my coach, George Corner, my teachers, Mr. Syndico, Mr. Branton, uh, Marty Stern, my, my track coach in junior high school, these guys all from Doylestown, right? Central Bucks East for crying out loud. Uncle Marty Sneakerbomb. I just saw he just turned 84 years old the other day. I saw it uh, that one of, one of my one of my idols and and these guys and and so but, but here's one of the things maybe I can leave you with and and it's this it's and it's a quote that was given to me and we should all remember it and I say it all the time when I do whatever I do when they're riding me hard when I was trying out for the birds you're too old can't be done before you're 30 years old 30 years old never but you know I mean it's just impossible Vince and I go to my high school coach George Corner who was at Interboro then Radnor. And coach gives me this quote and it went like this. And I said it at your, at the event when we were down at Andrews, happy are those who dream dreams and are willing to pay the price to make your dreams come true. And if you're not willing to pay the price, ain't going to happen. Unfortunately, as we know, the ultimate price is paid, but the willingness to go out there and the battle and the fight and to persevere and to stick to it and to, and to go through the pain and do whatever it takes to get there and be disciplined and have that courage to do something that nobody's ever done before. That's what invincibility is about. But you got to be willing to pay the price. And, and it's as simple as that. And I live by that code and I live by that credo and hopefully my children do as well. I know Jonathan. I mean, she, here she was. She was an Olympian, for crying out loud. Is knocked out because of a sprained ankle in the trials. Does it stop her? No. She goes on to Penn State after she blows her knee out and sets all Penn State's diving records. You know, and that's the pivot. That's the audible. That's a, you know. <laughs> One door slams, the other one opens up. So me, I don't get into the decathlon like I hoped I would. And there, Dick Ramil comes in, opens the door up for me. And here I am talking to you. And, you know, it's a butterfly effect with all those wings flapping, especially how about the Eagles game the other day? That was a good one. <laughs> that, was, that was a pretty good yeah. one. I did watch yeah. that one. Yes. Yeah, okay, so Vince, I, I always close it off by asking what living a resilient life means to you. But what I'd love you to do is because I think you encompass it in that one quote. Can you just repeat that quote again for our listeners? So here's the quote, and, and it goes like this. There's, there's, there's two quotes about dreams. One was a great poem given to us uh, right before the Eagles were playing the Dallas Cowboys by Monsignor George Sharkey, and he was our team pastor. And it's a whole fast of dreams, for if dreams die, life is like a broken-winged bird that cannot fly. And a lot of times when I'm signing an autograph, I'll just say, hold fast to your dreams. But the one where they were busting me really bad in 76 that George Corner gave me, happier those who dream dreams and are willing to pay the price to make their dreams come true. The question is, are you willing to pay the price? And if you are, there you go. You're invincible. Yes, happy are those that dream dreams 
and are willing to pay the price to make those dreams come true. I, mm-hmm. I don't think there's a better quote about how you achieve your dreams. Uh, I love it. Um, I love you. I love everything you stand for. I love uh, our friendship, your friendship with my dad. And I know that this is going to be an episode that resonates with people, um, not just from the the sports angle, but from living life. I mean, I think you give a, a true testament of what it means to live life as a fighter. And that's the best way I can say it. You're a fighter. You just keep going. Vince Papali, thank you so much for joining us today on the Resilient Life Podcast.